This is Doing Translational Research, a podcast from the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research in the College of Human Ecology at Cornell University. So hello, everybody, and welcome to Doing Translational Research. I'm Chris Wildeman, your um, often but not always host for this podcast and director of the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. Um, I'm here today with Jane Powers. Jane, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Um, Jane's the director of the Act for Youth Center for Community Action um, and a senior research or senior extension associate in the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. Um, I don't want to talk too much about Jane otherwise because I just want to get to the questions. So the, the first one, which is immediately off script, so I'm sure you will be peeved at me right from the start, is just can you talk a little bit about sort of the life course of ACT, like how it started, where it is now, sort of how things have progressed. I, I understand that it engages with a state agency, and so there are certain components of things that, that you, you may not want to say on the air just because there's sensitivities always but just sort of you know how it how it got where it is now how it started and I should say before just to interject Jane has run this program massively successfully for since 1984 oh please what 2003 where'd you get 1984 that was before I even started working wait when did you start working on ACT sorry this is a sign that we should just get the trajectory so I apologize 2000 okay okay Huh. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Yeah. So you want to know about the initiative. Well, so in mm-hmm. the 90s, um, this positive youth development movement was really captivating researchers, practitioners, and policymakers. And it was like a really, it was a new way of looking at, at young people, not as problems to be fixed, but as resources and, and um, assets. And so when New York State put together this RFA for a center that would promote positive youth development, and and we at Cornell went after it, Um, it was a very innovative, groundbreaking approach. It was really based on a lot of collaboration between different parts of the health department and other state agencies that came together, because one of the basic tenets of positive youth development is the importance of collaboration and partnership, that everyone has a role to play Mm -hmm. in promoting youth development. Um, And so it began in 2000, and it was really focused on working with communities and changing communities to be better environments for adolescents so that um, it wasn't just implementing a program here and there, um, but it was about really systemic change. What can we do to create, to saturate the environment so that there are supports for young people and opportunities for them, ways to engage them, ways for them to be decision makers and, and have important roles? Um, and so that's how ACT began. Yeah. Um, and then, then there was sort of a, 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 a new emphasis after the first seven or eight years. We started really focusing in on adolescent sexual health promotion. And um, there was a new cry to use evidence um, and that instead of just letting communities do whatever they wanted to do in terms of preventing teen pregnancy, that they were being mandated to use evidence-based mm. programs. Mm-hmm. There was a real shift in how monies were um, allocated um, by the health department to their grantees. 
So that became a big focus of our work on um, supporting the implementation of evidence-based programs um, around adolescent sexual health. Great. And what would you what would you say sort of are the the key sort of research questions you're interested in if you're um, thinking in that domain or sort of the issues that you're most focused on? So I personally have always been interested, my entire career has been interested in adolescent development mm. and like how can we promote adolescence, what do adolescents need to become contributing members of society, um, how can we prevent risky behaviors, and I think I've, I've just been interested in this, and so it really dovetailed so well with Act for Youth, which was working with a um, our funder is the New York State Department of Health, so this is the major um, entity, agency for the state of New York that is concerned, among many things, but with the health and well-being of adolescents. And what's been so gratifying to me about my work with them is that um, we really provide them with evidence, with research that they use to develop program strategies, initiatives, and, and that's incredibly satisfying rather than, you know, publishing your study results in a journal that people may or may not read, our findings really get absorbed and integrated um, in, into the policies, into the RFAs that they put out, um, into the work that they are asking from their grantees across the state. And I find that incredibly satisfying. And of course, it really aligns so well with the mission of, of the Bromfenbrenner Center. And um, so we existed before the BCTR existed. And so when BCTR came about, we just really kind of like, well, that's a lot of what we do. And so it was a, a nice marriage. Yeah. Well, we're very happy that you accepted the center. Of the proposal. <laughs> okay. Very good. Um, so you, you've talked, uh, you talked a little bit about DOH and you've talked a little bit about sort of community organizations sort of um, and the programs that they would want to roll out. I guess, can you talk a little bit about some of the some of the positives and then also some of the things that are more difficult about working with various different stakeholders, especially when they might have competing um, sort of interests? Right. So, um, you know, I've worked with a lot of different community agencies and youth-serving organizations. Um, and in general, like for Act for Youth, most have been very receptive. We were there to support them. They appreciate us. We're always trying to give them um, things that they need. I want to mention that in Act for Youth, we provide training and technical assistance. Um, we provide research and evaluation, and we develop tools and resources to build the capacity of practitioners to do their work more effectively with the young people with whom they work. So we're always trying to meet their needs and anticipate important things that are coming down the pike that would be valuable to them. Um, and, and so through Act for Youth, most of the time we've been able to engage very well with, with our organizations that we're supporting. I have other projects that have been more of a challenge. So, for example, we've got a project that we've, that's funded by the CDC. We're building the evidence base on um, programs that are effective in preventing um, young people from becoming perpetrators of sexual violence. Mm. That project's been... Um, a little more challenging with getting community partners on board and and doing a rigorous evaluation. Um, and, you know, people are not, when you kind of 
convince them to be part of the study, and then you assign them to the control group, mm -hmm. they're not happy, okay? Mm -hmm. And we've mm -hmm. had to change our design <clears throat> based on we got so much pushback from the field um, about not wanting to be a control group that we switched to a waitlist design approach, you know, so they, they will get right. the goods. Right. So that's a challenge. Um, I think my best example in working with a community partner is one of my favorite studies of all time, which is my homeless youth study that I've been conducting with a program in Ithaca called The Learning Web. And that is a community-based participatory research project that I think is an excellent illustration of translational research strategy that's really wonderful because the community came to me and said, we have a problem, we have a need, we need help. And that started this partnership in which, you know, that our expertise was embraced and valued and um, in, in conducting this work. And it has led to partnering with homeless youth to be um, our research assistants and training them to go out in the field and collect data, um, identify the sample, collect data, help us analyze the data, and then disseminate it to key stakeholders. And again, um, extremely satisfying because those data have been used to improve services for homeless youth, to increase more housing options, and um, has really brought the voices of homeless youth out in our community that people are like, wow, this is an issue in Ithaca? And mm -hmm. yeah, we've demonstrated that hundreds of youth are at any one time um, struggling here to find housing and food and you know the basics of life, let alone get an education and a job and right. and become a you know functioning member of society. It's it's a challenge. Yeah, I, I hope that answered. No, that was great. Your that question. was great. <clears throat> Spun off there. No, no, no. Spinoffs are uh, very are welcome. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, if these things get too rigid, they're not particularly fun to listen to. Okay. I think. All right. So the um, so the spinoff was great. I guess the so I I feel like. Um, these things are funny with people you've known for some period of time because um, there are always these embarrassing questions that you should have asked them ages ago. And okay, you've so never what's asked. the embarrassing so, question? No, 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 it's never... embarrassing for me that uh. I didn't ask, and it's not going to be embarrassing for you. Uh. I guess, you, you know, so much of your work and your interest is on youth, and I guess I, the thing I've never asked you but that I should have is sort of what do you think drove that initi that that interest initially? How did... How did you come to it? It might just be interesting to have a little bit of like an intellectual kind of yeah, history no, of Jane. I, I no, um, you know, I I came to Cornell um, to go to grad school, and I was still exploring. I mean, mm. a lot of people came to. I remember. I mean, I, I took a year off between um, undergrad and, and graduate studies, and I I didn't know what I wanted to to study here. I remember I'd go into a panic every time they'd we have these go arounds, and people would have to say their area, and <laughs> I didn't have an area, you know, and I was always like in a panic, and so my first year I took a seminar in adolescence. Hmm. Um, and a whole group of us bonded in that class, and he had a fantastic professor and who really turned me on to the field of adolescence. And it was also very close to the issues that I was going through. I was like 22 or 23 when sure. I was here, and so I was fascinated by the literature about me, you yeah. know. And um, um, so I think that really was one uh, an important factor. Also, mm -hmm. at Michigan, uh, as an undergrad, I, I TA'd for um, uh, 
John Hagen, who's a big child developmentalist, and uh, on a class on children and institutions and worked in a residential center um, and dealt with adolescents and teenagers. And I just was fascinated by that class, which kind of inspired me to go on to training. And so anyhow, I've just been interested in it. Yeah. And um, fortunately, all the projects that I've been involved with at the center have in some way been connected to adolescence. Every single one has yeah. managed to be connected. So I was never an early infancy person. Maybe if I had had a baby when I had started graduate <laughs> school, I would be an infancy person now. But, sure. you know, that's how it, is that, is that, that's it. I'm glad I know that now. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so the, I, I mean, I guess to to shift a little bit back to the um, to the work you've done with Act, it, it would be be interesting to hear a little bit about what are the sort of one or two accomplishments that you're most proud of for Act, and you, is there you know one or two missed opportunities you'd feel comfortable talking about? Well, I'm really proud that we have survived for 20 years and gone through four procurements um, and been the successful, um, you know, applicant on on these and have built a partnership um, with the health department that they've turned to us to help them with their needs, um, whether they just need basic information and what does the research literature say about this particular subject, whether it's been, we want to revamp our sexual health initiatives, will you help us um, help us um, uh, organize a symposium and bring together the top thinkers in the field and then use that information to revamp how we do sexual health for adolescents in New York State. That was a huge success. I'm very mm-hmm. proud of that Adolescent Sexual Health Symposium that was held back in 2008, bringing together the really, bringing together really the top researchers, practitioners, policymakers, in the field in the, for two days and discussing what do we know, what's our state of knowledge, where do we need to go. And based on the findings from that symposium, DOH rewrote um, their RFAs, mm. their policies and initiatives. So that was extremely satisfying. I'm always satisfied when they ask us to do a focus group project to find out what adolescents think about a particular topic. We've done multiple projects. And that, you know, we do these projects and they take the findings and they use them in media campaigns and, and, they, and they just integrate them into their work. And, and that's extremely gratifying. Um, missed opportunities. Um, just we haven't really had time to write things up to the sort of, to be able to disseminate them to the sort of peer-reviewed community. Mm -hmm. Much Mm -hmm. of our work is kind of internally published and things like that. I think that's, we have a few publications coming out right now, coming from one of our projects around working with teen parents that's going into an art. But but I think that's a missed opportunity just to be able to write about what we've learned and to be able to share our knowledge more broadly with uh, different audiences. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing with that because um, dissemination tends to be sort of a tiny part of more primarily research based grants, and then engagement with the academic community ends up being a really tiny part of these contracts where you actually have to 
go out and engage and do work that the funder needs you to do. So, right. yeah, no, I think, I mean, that's, that's such an important constraint to highlight. But when you're in an academic setting, that's really something that is important to do. Yeah. And it's always been a challenge. Yeah. Um, well, the accomplishments sound great, and the challenge yeah. doesn't sound too bad, so you know, it's good. I, I do want to mention that um, so another accomplishment is that um, that I feel really good about is that we really help our practitioners use evidence. I mean, we're constantly looking at what's the best research, most cutting-edge findings out there to bring to them and give it to them in an accessible format. And then we help them use their own evidence, their own data from, um, we collect a lot of data on their implementation of these evidence-based programs. And then we feed that data back to them and help them use it to strengthen their practice and um, their, their improve the quality of their work. And that's also a really satisfying part of, and it's also research translation yeah. and bringing it really back to them. So that's a real, a nice thing that I like to highlight about our work, especially around uh, the Bronfman Brenner Center. Okay, so Jane, I just have one more question for you um, at this point. Um, so thinking about the general area that you work in, what are some things you'd like the general public to know or to understand? So maybe could you tell me sort of two or three things based on your work that you think would be especially important for sort of ordinary citizens? Sure. So um, I've done a lot of thinking about this in terms of um, if you care about teenagers in our society and, and you want to do something that's helpful to them, um, bring them into the planning process and bring them to the decision-making table. Engage mm. them, form a partnership for program, for programming as well as research and evaluation. So sort of uh, youth participation, participation, youth engagement. I think that... Um, your work will be strengthened by bringing uh, young people in as partners. That's one thing. The other thing really comes from my homeless youth study, which has been, you know, a passion of mine over over the years. That when you see young people on the commons in Ithaca or out on the street who are got lots of piercings and tattoos, and you know, who are these kids? I just want you to know that these are really good kids. Many have been ripped off or abused and burned by adults in their mm -hmm. lives their families as well as the service systems and it's it's no wonder why they don't trust adults and the system because uh, they've been deprived of safety nets and so one of the things that we've learned from th this study which has been going on since 2003 um, is that when we ask them about their every their dreams for the future they're so ordinary mm -hmm. it's like to get an education to have a family to have a job to own a house I mean these are things that like our kids this is what our kids want and so just how we as a society really need to, to support and provide those safety nets for lots of young people in our in, in our community that, that don't have them. That's great. That's a great that's a great um, sort of closing thought. So okay, um good. so with that I'll thank you for joining us, okay, Jane. Um, this was super fun. It was um, super fun. <laughs> Jade's looking mildly sarcastic right now since you can't see her face. Um, and, and thanks to everybody for listening to Doing Translational Research. For more information about translational research or the work of the Bronfenbrenner Center, please visit www.bctr.org.
www.cornell.edu.